The music in this episode is brought to you by the band Half Pelican, featuring Dr. Joy Adams on cello and yours truly, Andy Reiner on fiddle. Half Pelican is known for playing on mountaintop summits, playing music while skiing, and for their instrumental role in the sad cello-laced, Emmy-nominated soundtrack and Emmy-winning theme to the Netflix series Godless. You can find us online at halfpelican.com and follow us on Instagram at halfpelican. You have to suck at something before you can be good at it. Welcome to the River of Suck podcast, episode six. I'm your host, Andy Reiner. For the past decade, I've been giving workshops called Healthy Musical Attitudes at Fiddle Camps, where I've used concepts like the River of Suck to discuss personal growth and our relationships with fear. I realized very quick that the topic applied to way more than just music, but also to every way that we live and interact with the world around us. So creating this podcast meant I could spend more time listening to what others had to say and expanding into science and now horse training. My guest today is Megan Rao, who gives riding lessons and trains horses in Fort Collins, Colorado. Hi, Megan. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's pretty cool how we met. You posted on Thumbtack you were looking for cello lessons, but your ad also mentioned horses. I sent it to Joy Adams, my fiancé, who's a doctor of cello, and you ended up trading writing lessons for cello lessons. Such a cool way for everyone to learn new things. Oh, yeah. And it's so cool because there's so many parallels between the two of them. And it keeps me so much more interested in learning how to play cello because we're like, oh, well, that's like the same as the writing. And like, oh, that's the same as the cello. I wrote, I want to learn how to play cello because I use the whip a lot in the writing that I do. Now everybody hears that and they think, oh, no, you're mean to the horse. And it's like, you know, you, I, you very rarely hit the horse with the whip. It's very uncommon that, you, <laughs> that I do that. And the only time I ever do that is because the horse came at me. Most of the t- horses that I deal with are not that aggressive anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. The whip is actually an extension of your hand. And you can use it to massage the horse and indicate different muscles that you want the horse to use and reach different areas on the horse that you couldn't. And early bow cultures, you'll think this is cool as a fiddle player, and early Mm -hmm. horse cultures were the same because bows were made out of horse hair. Oh, right. And most people, people. Yeah. And if you look at the old etchings of the riding schools and stuff, they always had long sticks. And so I think that they used a lot of the bowing techniques to use the whip. Hmm. And so that's the whole reason that I wanted to learn how to play cello is to be a better <laughs> horseback rider. <laughs> Sweet. You give riding lessons, you train horses? Yes, I do. What does someone call someone who does that? Well, I mean, basically just a horse trainer or riding instructor is how I usually introduce myself. But then I usually follow up with some notes on how the way that I teach riders and train horses is very different because most people use fear and aggression and essentially bullying to handle the horse, and I don't right. use that kind of method. So so you find there's like a connotation with horse trainer that you don't want to be affiliated with? Yes, definitely. Wow, that's super cool. <laughs> Here at the River of Suck podcast, we like to talk about a concept called the USU. You want to be the USU that you can be. What makes you your USU and how did you come to love riding horses so much? Well, I'm very active and I love being outside and using my body. I've always 
loved horses since I was a kid. My dad says I came out of the womb saying horse. And all, <laughs> <laughs> like, was that your first word? <laughs> no, it wasn't, unfortunately. Oh, okay. But everything was a horse to me growing up. My mom says my two favorite toys were my Easy Bake Oven and my toy horses. Oh, and nice. I love to bake. <laughs> and I love horses. And all my bikes were horses. And they were all different breeds. And my parents couldn't sell any of them because they were my horses. <laughs> So you like outgrow a bike and it's still your your little baby horse, the pony? Yes, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. No, it's still a pony. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> do, do you still have those? No, but I do have a tiny bike still, but it's not from my childhood. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you make your living now from riding horses and helping other people, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. So how did you decide that's the path you really wanted to take more seriously? Well, it's interesting because... I've been riding horses since I was five, and I always thought that I wanted to train and save and help horses, but I didn't think that it was an option. And so Hmm. I decided to study real estate and stuff going to college, and I wanted to be a vet for a while, but I decided I couldn't put horses down, and then it was dangerous, (laughs) and I was kind of (laughs) squeamish. And so I just kind of gave up on the horse training thing. But people would always tell me that I was really good with horses and that I should work with their horse and help them. But my problem was was that I didn't really know what I was doing or how to translate it to somebody else. So I just thought, well, I'll just have my own horses and train them up and then that'll be fine. And then I met my teacher and his wife. So I met him first. His name is Craig Stevens and he's out of Seattle, cool. Washington. And he came and did a clinic in Colorado and worked with me and my pony who um, your fiance Joy has actually ridden. She's great. Oh, nice. <laughs> What's the name? Fancy. Fancy. Yeah. And so I've had her for a very long time. And so I rode her in this clinic with my soon-to-be teacher. And that was in May of 2012 that I rode in that clinic. And he asked me if this was what I wanted to do for a living. And I said, yes, but I didn't think that it was an option. He said, oh, it's very much an option. I would love to train you and you could come study with me in Washington. And before he gave me that lesson that day, he gives a lecture before every lesson, which Mm -hmm. a lot of horse people are like, how is that going to teach me how to ride? I'm just having somebody talk to me. Well, during this lecture, he explained to me the history of riding and why it changed and stuff. And he spoke to so many of the frustrations that I'd run into in teaching and trying to train my own horses so Mm -hmm. uh, that it really got me interested in learning how to ride this different way. And he taught me the very, I want to say systematic, but it's kind of like, I'm figuring this out as learning how to play cello. Like in the beginning, you have these very set rules. Mm-hmm. But then later on, the rules, you can break the rules. Sure. But he gave me like a very good method and outline for how to teach somebody and how to teach and train the horse and answer my own questions. So then I didn't feel like I was going to be faking it all the time when I was <laughs> teaching and training, which I right, think right. a lot of horse trainers are doing, which is why I think there's so much ego involved in it. And they don't want you to ask questions or ride with anybody else because they don't want to know, they don't want you to know that they don't really know. Do you mean people who advertise themselves as horse trainers but have had no official training and they're now teaching other people kind of as a self taught guru or something? Yes, basically. Yeah. Okay. Which was kind of what I'd been doing before because I started teaching. Like uh, just a little bit when I was probably like 13 or so, 
to like 16 and then I kind of stopped because I just felt like I was faking it and I didn't really know what I was doing and I couldn't translate it and that's what a good riding instructor does is so what you're doing when you're riding a horse is you're having communication based on a tactile language so a good riding instructor can be a good translator Mm -hmm. so they translate the feeling of writing into words. Right. So basically I'm a I'm a translator and it's a hard thing to translate cuz <laughs> there's this like you can't translate a feeling because every time you have a feeling it changes. Mm-hmm. So for example, like if we were going to taste a glass of wine together, like we could like smell the wine and talk about the wine and then t- take a sip and then describe the wine, but it's not the same thing as actually yeah. taking the sip of wine. Which is what riding is, is taking that sip of wine. So how do you translate the taste of that to somebody who's never experienced it? Wow, that's really cool. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's a hard job. You have a phrase on your website, which I really like, called harmony with horses. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So the easiest way to actually control a horse is through harmony. So horses are herd-based animals. And so for the horse to have harmony in the herd, and when you're riding the horse, you are the herd is when the horse is safest. Mm-hmm. So actually learning how to find a rhythm And then controlling the horse through the rhythm is the best way to do it. So most people use opposition to control the horse. So they grab with the legs and the hands. So the mistakes of the legs are fixed with the hands and the mistakes of the hands are fixed with the legs. And so basically they're just contracting the horse and beating them into what they want them to do. Whereas most of what I do is just with one aid. Everything can be done with a single aid. So an aid is like either your leg or your hand. So everything that you can do is taught um, through the hand. And so the horse can always get away. So you have to learn how to find the harmony and get the control through the harmony with the single aid before you can ask them to do anything. So that sounds really cool, but that's kind of in opposition to controlling the horse in a dominant way. You know, like I'm the pack leader. I'm the I'm the alpha, I guess. Mm-hmm. You're saying that that is not the best way. No, definitely not. <laughs> because, I mean, who are you going to work harder for? A boss that is a hard ass on you or a boss that you really like mm-hmm. and you is your friend. Who are you going to work harder for? The boss that's nice to you. Yeah. Which is why, like, my pony, who I've had since I was 11, I used to ride her poorly and I couldn't get much out of her. And now that I change the way I ride her and I treat her a lot more fairly and nicely because I'm more educated, now she does Olympic level movements. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. She likes me a lot more these days. Can you just give us a quick rundown of like how people think about horses in the world? Yeah, so um, most riding is based off of military riding, and that's the way I used to ride. So I, I get it because that's <laughs> that's most of the horse world. That's how most people are educated. Mm-hmm. I'm classically trained. So classical riding takes its roots all the way back to um, the ancient Greeks. The first classical master that I studied is Xenophon. Now, I wouldn't recommend doing everything that he says because he also said not to give horses water. I would not do that. <laughs> Right, sure. (laughs) But a lot of his other ideas were very good. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so he was the first master that I studied. And then I, um, there's a few that are mostly in the French school. So there was the golden age of equitation. And um, that was pretty much up until the French Revolution. Hmm. So everybody who knew how to ride well in, in a classical style were the noblemen. So they actually used the horse to teach the noblemen how to be in service to the king. So not to lose their temper, how to find harmony and become a good leader. And so then the French Revolution happened, which is wonderful. I'm all about the common man. <laughs> <laughs> but they killed everybody who knew how to ride well. Because it was very unfashionable to ride well because that meant you were a noble. Uh, uh. <laughs> and so it kind of stinks because with the rise of man became the fall of the horse. <laughs> and so they still had to train young men how to go to war. So they invented military riding, which is the way that most people ride. So they used the hands to fix the mistake of the legs and legs to fix the mistake of the hands um, because they only had like three months to train these young men to go to war on these horses. And so they knew that it was going to damage the horses, but these young men were going to be afraid and had to learn how to ride in a very short period of time. And so they knew that it was going to ruin the horses, but... The sad thing is the horses are probably going to get eaten on the way home and not live that long anyway, so they didn't really care. So here we are 300 years later, and that's just been going on? Yeah, so then there was (laughs) two masters in the mid-18th century, so Boucher, who was the French school, and then Dore, who was the German school. They both claimed to be the true classical masters, but they had very different views. I am in the Boucher school. (laughs) So the French school, which is kind of funny since my last name is very German. (laughs) (laughs) And Dorr was in the more German school. So he, this was right around when they invented the steam engine. So he said Mm -hmm. that the legs create the steam and then the hands regulate the steam. So that's exactly what opposition is, is you drive the horse into the hand and then you pull on the hand to stop the horse. So he rode very oppositionally and very hard. And Boucher was actually a circus rider and he rode very lightly (laughs) and gently. (laughs) And so he, after the French Revolution, it kind of died away for a while, and then came Boucher. And then it kind of, there was um, a couple of French masters after that, like uh, Rabet was one of his students um, who took over the French school. Um, And then it just kind of died down again. There's been a sort of underground keeping of it, though. So if I just, like, opened the yellow pages of the internet and looked for writing lessons, you think there's a high chance that if I didn't find you, I would be getting someone who who wants to teach me how to dominate the horse. Yes, yeah. And I'm not saying that you should let the horse walk all over you. Right. That's a very important thing to say as well. I mean, they are big animals and you have to set mm-hmm. boundaries. But they are so much... It's very, very rare that you have to be fierce with a horse. Right. And that's a fundamental difference in, in how you think about it from from day one almost yeah like when i was growing up i was always told like show the horse who's boss make them do it and (laughs) and that never sat right with me you know and so when i met my teacher i was so excited because the little girl Mm -hmm. inside me loved horses and was kind of you wanted to be yeah (laughs) my horse couldn't be my friend and i had to boss it around (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah that's so cool horse that's been trained military style if you sat on it would it know what you're trying to do 
Yes, pretty quickly. Because the, the aids that I use are tied into the biomechanics of the horse. Mm. So the aids weren't invented. They were discovered. Oh, cool. Just like gravity. We've mm-hmm. had gravity as, for as long as the earth has existed. But we didn't invent it. We discovered it. It's always been there. <laughs> <laughs> Same with the aids. And if you have a horse that knows how to lead... Mm-hmm. Then it's the same as the AIDS. So I can get on a horse and and within ten minutes they figured it out usually. That's fast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nice. But in in the beginning the training is a little bit more physical and then it becomes more psychological. But usually the physical resistance you get is due to a lack of suppleness in the horse. Cool. Some people seem to think animals don't have feelings. Right? Have you heard that? Yes, those people are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but but that used to be like a scientific thought. People used to honestly believe that animals didn't have feelings and that humans are superior. Mm-hmm. So that's not been your experience, I'm guessing? No, no. And the sad thing is, is that a lot of horses that I see are basically equal to trauma victims and people. So mm. they've experienced physical trauma in some form. Uh, pretty much, I would say, 95% of the horses out there. And so they... Wow. Um, That's have, most of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> sad. Um, so they, you get two horses from that. You get a horse that is extremely angry and aggressive. Mm-hmm. Or you get a horse that is totally shut down and has given up on life. Ooh. And those are the good horses because they don't do anything bad. And so huh. it's a bit the same thing that you see in trauma with people. People who have been traumatized are either extremely angry and aggressive yeah. or they're extremely shut down. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people could relate to that too with like rescue dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm a rescue dog mommy too. Oh, nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All about saving the fur babies. <laughs> Don't you wish we could just ask them what they've been through? Oh, yeah. It's funny because I actually um, just had my one-year anniversary of adopting one of my dogs, and he was so abused when I got him. He would just cower. He wouldn't come inside. He wouldn't wag his tail for the first three months. Mm-hmm. And now he's just a happy guy. He runs around all the time. He's always wagging his tail. And <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole new dog. Yeah. The second dog. <laughs> I think it's high time we discuss the River of Suck. <laughs> the River of Suck is a mythical river churning with whitewater rapids, rocks, thought piranhas, and other unseen obstacles. We are on one side. Behind us is our comfort cave. On the other side, we can see future versions of ourselves running around doing the things we wish we could do today. Only by swimming with the thought piranhas and embracing the process can we make it to the other side towards our impossible-seeming goals? You have to suck at something before you can be good at it. The river of suck represents all the hard work we put in to accomplish our goals. Everything happens in tiny increments, but even those can be invisible to us. How do you see the river of suck in your life? Well, I see it in my students. (laughs) 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 Because they watch me work and they say, wow, you make it look so easy. It looks like magic. And I'm always trying to say, yeah, but I started off 
just where you are even worse mm -hmm. <laughs> probably <laughs> actually <laughs> and so like there's i think the thing that people struggle with the most is getting the horse to start because mm. usually people kick the horse to make them go which i don't do i i create the feeling of going by asking the horse to shift their weight back and then letting them go forward and if <sighs> you don't have the correct touch the horses will just stand there <laughs> <laughs> And I see a lot of people getting very frustrated with that. I remember, I get reminded every day about how bad I used to be at this <laughs> and about yeah. how much time and practice it took for me to get to where I am. Right. Yeah. So you feel like in terms of your riding goals, you're feeling pretty good. Um. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I have a lifetime of work ahead of me, which is one of the things that I love about it, mm -hmm. is that every horse is different, every ride is different, and that I'm always learning and always trying to get better. And every horse presents a different, interesting new obstacle. And actually, all my riding students present interesting, right. different new obstacles. And I think that falls under the umbrella of this term I've been hearing, the growth mindset, where you're always learning no matter what. I can go play gigs. I can get paid for playing music. I can play beautiful music for your wedding ceremony. You won't be like, oh, I wish that fiddle player sucked less. You'll be <laughs> like, oh, that was beautiful. Thank you for making my day so memorable and beautiful. But at the same time, the medium of music is so deep that the more you learn, the more you realize that you don't know anything. I, I feel like that's learning more things is a humbling experience. <laughs> yes, yes, I totally agree a thousand times. <laughs> nice. I say that it's so frustrating getting better because I see where everything I'm missing, mm. especially in my horses. I'm like, oh, why didn't I see that before? Like, gosh, I've been working them this way all this time. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it's probably the same way in music. My learning goes in circles. Mm -hmm. So I'll think I understand something. And then like a couple months later or even a couple years later, sometimes I'll come back to it and be like, oh, now I get it. And yeah. then I'll have that aha moment like mm -hmm. so many times over and over again. And it's just like the depth of it just keeps circling around and around and I think it'll just keep getting better. <laughs> Thought piranhas represent the negative thoughts that pop into our head that try and sabotage us. Because we have all these thoughts swimming in our heads, right? But what if the thoughts that had the most evil-looking teeth were the ones that were most prevalent sometimes? And you can't control these thoughts. They just pop into your head. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of big egos flying around in the horse world. And a lot of people don't like to hear what I have to say about them. Because if I'm even a little bit right, then they are very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you're questioning their whole... Their whole existence. Yes, exactly. Threatening. Especially to other trainers because mm. that's their livelihood. And I don't blame them for trying to protect themselves and such. So, I mean, I constantly doubt myself and the way that I'm going to be judged mm -hmm. by other people. Like, right. why doesn't she have nose bands on her horses? And why doesn't her tack match? And 
<laughs> like yeah. stupid things like that. And like, why doesn't she have these really expensive horses? And so I definitely have a lot of self-doubt. Luckily, I'm kind of isolated from the rest of the horse world because I just have my own barn. And when I do work at public barns, mm -hmm. I usually just try to keep my eyes down and I on my own horse because I can't <laughs> really tolerate you can't, you watching can't, other people. You can't even look at them. No, because... You're ruined. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. So I self-doubt and, I mean, definitely a fear of failure um, is a big thing for me. And just being worried that I'm going to say the wrong thing and, and being judged is very hard because I feel like I'm constantly being judged. And I'm trying to get better about my public speaking, <laughs> <laughs> which is why this is really good for me. Oh, yeah. Face your fears. Yeah. Be on a podcast. Yeah, exactly. I, I know I'm really scary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of thought piranhas do your students have probably that they're never gonna get it <laughs> oh right yes there's always uh, the lesson where you can't get fancy to move and everybody has this lesson and i always think that's when they're gonna give up <laughs> <laughs> So they look at me and they're like, well, it's so easy. Like you make it look so easy. And I hear that all the time. Like I'm never going to be as good as you. And I'm like, I remember thinking that. <laughs> but that level of effortless, I think, is where anything becomes more fun. Oh, yeah. But it never is effortless the first time. Like that's the whole idea of the river of suck mm -hmm. is it's, it takes effort. It takes thought. Like I just want to feel the music, man. But guess what? If I don't practice... I'm not going to feel it that good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to communicate my music to other people. You know, everyone wants to skip to that effortless part without putting in the work. And then the second they're confronted with the challenge, that's when some people give up. And I think oh, that's yeah. what separates a lot of people who try things and give up from people who really follow their passion is they don't stop when it's hard. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. I think having some sort of struggle, though, is very important for your self-growth. Like, I am mm -hmm. dyslexic, and I had the hardest time learning how to read. I hated reading. <laughs> and I had to go to the special tutor, and I'm still the words for a speller, but I love to read now. I read, like, four books at a time. Oh, cool. And I think that if I never had that experience, then I probably wouldn't have learned how to ride this way because it is the hardest thing I've ever done. And I think another big thought piranha that I see a lot in my students is confusion. Mm. So they get confused and then they think, well, I'm never going to get it. But what most people don't understand is that confusion is part of learning. Mm -hmm. If you're not it, yeah. confused at some point, you're, you're not really learning, <laughs> you know? Right. Cause you have to get to the bottom of the confusion and then you'll, then you know it, then, then it becomes a thing that you know, and mm -hmm. you're no longer confused. Yes. Yeah. And you can't, you can't just jump to that. I think it's important <laughs> as a teacher to keep learning new skills. Like right. right now, that's why I'm taking cello lessons from Joy because it's mm -hmm. good for me to learn a new skill and be a total beginner again and see what my students are going through. And sometimes what Joy says to me, I'm like, can you say that again? I am really confused. <laughs> and she does a great job of explaining it to me, but a lot of people don't want to sound dumb. Right. They don't want to ask a question. So being a beginner again as an adult helps you understand what your students are going through. Yes, definitely. 
it's so funny. You can pick apart these emotions by talking about them. And I think that's really important, but it's not going to stop us from feeling them. There's the school of thought where we push them away and we say, oh, get away. You're distracting me from what I'm trying to do. And I think that's kind of the emotional shutoff valve. You like try to bottle it up and then I think it jumps back at you later. Oh, yeah. Like worse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which has definitely happened to me a lot of times. And I'm, I'm learning that it's like, you know, can be an uphill battle to like express our feelings. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to go through that process. Just because we have them doesn't mean we should repress them or that we can fix them by talking about them. But even just sitting with that emotion, understanding this is what I feel and this is part of my day and this is part of who I am. This is part of how my brain works. And that's cool. Like the thought piranhas are on the swim team, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the reasons that I think writing is so good for people is because you have to be so mindful and feeling. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's really good for people who've been through a lot of trauma and stuff like that, because you have to be present, you have to be feeling, and you have to be okay with your emotions. And what you're doing when you're riding the horse is you're borrowing the horse's legs. And so you, you are. <laughs> you are a centaur when you're riding a horse. And so you have to join your mind with the horse's mind. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're angry, if you're frustrated, if you're thinking about what you're going to do over the weekend, the horse is going to know that you're not there. And they're not going to join with you. <laughs> and so you have to recognize your feelings and then let them go. Mm-hmm. But like the big one you see in riding is fear. Okay. And I grew up riding horses, and I I wasn't afraid. I mean, I was afraid, but I was always told not to be afraid. Now, as as in terms of little kids, I was pretty fearless when it came up to horses. I guess when I was little, I'd walk yeah. right up to them and put my hand up. But I mean, there were moments where horses would freak out and stuff, and teachers would always tell me, "Don't be afraid." Now, don't be afraid. Now, show the horse who's boss. Don't be afraid. And I always tell my students. That is the dumbest thing. <laughs> that isn't a thousand pound animal that could crush you. You should be afraid. <laughs> yeah. So by Definitely. telling yourself you're not to not be afraid, you're thinking, well, now I just have to muscle through it and mm-hmm. make it happen. Instead of that's when people say man up. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Which and, is terrible advice. Yeah. Especially when it comes to a pissed off thousand pound animal. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and so what you need to do is recognize you're afraid. So anytime you mm-hmm. recognize your feelings, it's like you have that gap, you have that pause where you can sort of step back and take a deep breath. Now, in the case mm-hmm. of fear, you can step back and be like, okay, why am I afraid? And what can I do about it? Like one of my favorite examples is one of my students. She's older and she hadn't ridden much. And she was super nervous when she started riding with me. And she said, well, I'm really afraid. Is that okay? And I said, that's fine. You should be afraid. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, now let's talk about things you can do when you are afraid. (laughs) And one one time one of the horses was kind of kicking around and stuff like that. And she had to pick their feet where you have to be down by their hooves and stuff. And Mm -hmm. she was nervous because the horse was moving around so much. And she said... I remember what Megan said. Recognize when I'm afraid. And so she said, why am I afraid? Okay, because he's moving around a lot. Why is he moving around a lot? Oh, because there's lots of flies. Oh, I'll put some fly spray on him, and then I'll pick his feet. Yeah. And so that's what she did. So she she took that pause Mm -hmm. to recognize she was afraid and why she was afraid, and then did something to fix it instead of just saying, I shouldn't be afraid. I should just pick his feet. Right. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. 
suck if you believe in what we're talking about and this could be you right now listening you can join the river of suck swim team and one of the benefits besides getting all the bonus content like all the music and the extended interviews is that you actually get to ask questions of my guests so i found a video of you from your (laughs) website Uh and i showed it to the river of suck swim team on the internet and i have questions from the swim team Joy Adams asks, I would love to know about the parallels between how a horse encounters a new skill and how a human does. And then how does that influence how you approach your human students? So horses are much more present and much more in their bodies than humans are. (laughs) (laughs) Because horses don't really plan for the future. Yeah. (laughs) The way that we do. Maybe they think a little bit about the past, but I don't don't really know. They're very in their bodies and much more present than people are. Hmm. Like, um, for example, if I were to ask you right now how you feel in your clothes, you would think, well, that's kind of a strange question. I mean, I guess my T-shirt's a little soft and my waistband's a little tight. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not something you think about on your everyday basis because you're not very in your body. And little kids (laughs) will actually go through a phase when they're about two years old, a lot of them where they run around naked because they don't want to wear clothes because they feel weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so as we get older and we age, we kind of block out our feelings Hmm. and lose being present. And so... Teaching people is a lot harder than teaching horses. That's why I charge more for teaching people. Because <laughs> just the horse is, is so much easier. Because it's I this is actually another thought piranha of my students is they get stuck in their own head mm-hmm. and they start beating themselves up and getting stuck about why they didn't get it perfect two minutes ago instead of being in the moment right. and seeing what's going on around them. So <laughs> trying to help my students get out of their head yeah. is the hardest part for me and Trying to get them to see the humor in things, I think, is the best thing. Because I know before I started to learn how to ride this way, and I still am a little bit, I'm not totally over it, was such a perfectionist. Everything had to be perfect, and I had to be perfect all the time. And learning how to ride this way has made me see the humor in things. (laughs) 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 Even when stuff is going very poorly, it can be kind of funny. You can just laugh it off. (laughs) Well, but when it's going the worst, how you respond to those situations, I think almost defines a lot of who you are as a person and like what your mindset is. Yes, totally. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. And then the results change drastically. (laughs) Yes, yeah, that's the amazing thing. (laughs) The universe responds appropriately. (laughs) Right. Like you were talking earlier about the speech that your old teacher gave and how people don't want to listen to speeches and words and how does that going to affect me? But people talk about this with all all kinds of outdoor stuff, just like being in the moment and, and not thinking, well, how do you get there? It's worth thinking about, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. How to get to that place. Anna Culver asks, 
I'd love to hear her perspective on how or whether we impose culturally specific values on animal psychology, like dominance, hierarchies, or cultural fetishization of punishment slash shame as a learning tool. Yes, I think that we totally do. I think the biggest problem for the horse, um, that is something that we have in society that we put on the horse, is speed. So everybody moves way too fast around Mm. horses. Horses' resting heart rates are about 30 to 35 beats per minute. An average human resting heart rate is about 70 beats per minute. Whoa. So we move way faster. It's like hanging out with somebody from New York City. (laughs) all hyped up on diet coke (laughs) (laughs) i think they outlawed that there (laughs) it's illegal so that's the biggest thing that i'm telling everybody is to slow down so we live in a very speed-based society especially Uh with modern technology and fast cars and speed actually equals aggression so it's Mm -hmm. sad to say but we live in a highly aggressive society because Mm. everything is so fast-paced. So that is definitely the biggest one that I see as far as society affecting horses. Also, we live in a very patriarchal society, Mm -hmm. whereas when you work with horses, you want to have more of a matriarchal sort of society where everybody Mm. helps each other and we're all partners and we're all equal instead of using dominance and fear and aggression. And I think... I don't think we experience this quite as much in Colorado, but especially in big cities, like everybody is very possessive and dominant and you got to get everything over the other guy because he might take your house and your car. question not on my list if horses could talk what would they tell us stop being so mean (laughs) (laughs) what would they tell you hopefully that i'm nicer than everybody else (laughs) i'd like to tell them sometimes when something hurts because that's one of the hard things with teaching people to ride is you have to learn to listen to the horse. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons that learning how to ride is so good for your humanity is because it's learning how to speak a language with another being that Mm. can't can't express words. Right. But they express through the way they move and the way that they look and through their actual body. And and that's how you communicate with them is tactilely. And so, like, for example, with the rain aids, you can stretch each of the legs. And sometimes the one of the horses will be sore on one of the legs. And so a lot of people will say, oh, the horses define me. I need to make them do it. It's like, no, what if he kind of stepped funny and he hurts a little bit? Why don't you see if you can take your turn a little bit wider? <laughs> instead of trying to voice it. <laughs> so sometimes when I have a horse that has real physical issues, I wish they could tell me those things more than me just having to listen to their body. But then oh, sure. I also think that it would take a lot of the fun out of it. So <laughs> people are always thinking of the cruelness in the horse, which I think is very wrong. Horses are very generous, very kind beings, unless they've been severely abused. Right. 
in which case <clears throat> it doesn't take them that long to come out of it. <laughs> and so they're actually, they're very forgiving. Imagine if somebody climbed on your back and told you what to do, how you would feel about it. <laughs> I wouldn't be that stoked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, well, it depends on who it is. And so I think, <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> I think that it's very important to try and learn to listen to the horses, even though they can't really talk. Yeah. But listen to them in a different way. Cool. What can animals teach us about being better people? Compassion. And being present and learning how to listen. I think mm. those are all the most important things. Even with my dog, sometimes my rescue, sometimes he'll mm-hmm. do like weird random things and like he gets in trouble, but I still try to feel for him because after he gets in trouble, he thinks that he's really going to get in trouble like he used to, <laughs> like I'm going to beat him. Oh. <laughs> and so he'll kind of go through an hour where he's like, you're going to hit me? You're going to hit me? And I'm like, no. Like, I'm mad at you. You did that bad thing. But but having compassion for him and what he's gone through. And, like, with the horses, mm-hmm. like, having compassion for them when they – when I ask them to do something and they don't do it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're being bad or – like, resistance is such an interesting thing, especially in the horse world and I think in relationships as well because it's like, what does it mean to resist if I – ask the horse to come inside and read a book to me. It's like, look, the horse is resisting. They're, they're resisting me. They're being a bad horse. The horse can't do that. <laughs> and so, I mean, even then little things, like your horses are athletes. They change from day to day. Right. They, you can't always, you shouldn't try to force them into doing something because you don't know what they're feeling in their bodies. You have to get good at listening to them and having compassion towards them. And I think... Having compassion towards yourself and kindness for yourself is the first step to having compassion and kindness towards animals. Well, if everyone thought like that, it'd be a better world. I agree. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and I think that I I help my students as much as I help the horses. I know that learning how to ride this way has made me a much better person. <laughs> If someone wants to find you online, where do they go? Um, you can find me at my website. It's uh, www.classhorsemanship.com or at facebook.com slash classicalhorsemanship. And they can take lessons with you? Yes, they can. If they come to Fort Collins, Colorado. Yes, but I also um, go to other barns if somebody else has a horse. Cool. And if someone had lots of money and wanted to fly you out there, you'd totally come? Oh, yeah, or even do a clinic down in Boulder or something like that. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. You rock. Thanks. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) No one ever said crossing the River of Suck would be easy or comfortable, so I want to thank you for tuning in and giving it a chance. I'll be back with a new episode every month forever, so make sure to subscribe wherever you listen. Leave a review and share the River of Suck with your friends or your enemies. (laughs) 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 Become a member of the River of Suck swim team for just $1 a month to support this podcast and access exclusive content, extended interviews, and high-quality downloads of the music you've been hearing. Visit riverofsuck.com for that and all the latest updates on future episodes and guests. My name is Andy Reiner. I'm Megan Rao. Till next time, keep swimming.